Come on. You know you want to. All the cool kids are doing it. I can't. I'm scared. Don't be such a loser. It's so awesome. But it's my first time. What do I do? It's easy. Just check out areyouvoting.rutgers.edu. It's got all the information you need to vote for the first time. Oh, man. That was magical. This is Core of the Matter, the public affairs forum of 90.3 The Core, streaming and podcasting at thecore.fm. Here on Core of the Matter, we talk about issues that are important to our community. And one thing that's very important right now is the election. Here in New Jersey, we're going to be voting for members of Congress. Rutgers exists in two congressional districts, District 6 and District 12. We've spoken to one candidate from District 6, the only one we could get in touch with. And later in the week, you'll be hearing from the three candidates in District 12. If you're looking for information on how to vote, where to vote, or where you're registered to vote, you can find that by going to ruvoting.rutgers.edu. You can also check out njvoterinfo.org. Those are both sites run by the Eagleton Institute of Politics right here at Rutgers. Another place you can find information is at Project VoteSmart. We spoke to Carly Griffin, media specialist at Project VoteSmart, to find out more. Project VoteSmart, um, we are a completely nonpartisan, nonprofit organization. Uh, we receive no funding from special interest groups, political parties, corporate entities, or, or the government. Um, we were founded by such political enemies as President Carter, Ford, and Senators Goldwater and McGovern. And basically, we are here in order to provide voters with unbiased information on candidates and elected officials. Uh, basically, every day we provide an extensive factual library on, our, uh, on over 40,000 candidates, including their voting records, their campaign financing, their speeches and public statements, and we do this in four ways. Um, it's all free to the public, and um, they can visit our website at votesmart.org. They can call our hotline and actually talk to someone, an actual person, which is new for these days, and um, that hotline number is 1-888-VOTE-SMART. They can also receive a copy of our free U.S. Government Owner's Manual, which has basically um, the basic information found on our website, but it will direct you to our website also. And this is a free publication that we give out, and it's available in every state. And we also have our brand-new Vote Easy program, which, um, depending on if your state's available currently, we're going to have all states available on the Vote Easy but they can actually go to this website and they can type in their zip code and then they can um, answer some of the same questions that are actually answered on our political courage test, which I'll talk about later, um, and get an instant confirmation on which congressional candidates actually agree with them on the issues. Um, basically, um, we consider ourselves a voter self-defense system. Um, we provide factual, trustworthy, relevant information on candidates and elected officials, and it basically allows citizens to defend themselves against the often manipulative campaign tactics of many candidates. Um, we are just here to provide information to the voters, point blank period. Some students may not be familiar with the people you mentioned who founded the organization. Could you talk a little bit about who they are and why it was unusual for those people to get together? Well, our basic mission was to find political opposites um, to put on our board because these political opposites and board members, including President Carter and President Ford and then Senators McGovern and um, Goldwater, basically because um, they are on two totally different sides of the political spectrum um, from both major parties. And we also have third-party candidates on our board also. But as a general rule, um, you know, you're not going to find these board members or these, you know, political entities on on the same board, basically, because they are there, you know, pushing for their mission for their party. 
and we wanted to include them on our board um, because it shows to our mission of being impartial. Um, it says that, you know, these board members, you know, they push aside their political, you know, differences, and um, they're willing to um, tell these people that Project Votesmart is completely impartial. I sign off on uh, speaking for one of those board members. Um, you know, I sign off on their political courage test, making sure that these questions are not loaded and they're not there to pin a, a candidate in the corner um, based on the party line, but actually just to... Um, you know, basically provide information to voters. And so um, uh, we felt that it was imperative that we had these such political opposites or political enemies, I guess you could call them, on our board that speaks to our mission of being completely impartial. President, I mean, President Carter was a Democrat. President Ford was a, was a Republican. Um, I am a, I am a um, uh, recent college graduate myself, actually. And if they actually wanted to figure out, you know, more information, you know, major legislation that these um, political um, entities had actually given out, they can actually visit our website at projectvotesmart.org or votesmart.org, I'm sorry. You know, they were very important in the actual, you know, inaugurating our actual organization at that point. And how long has it been around for? We've been around since um, 1992. Actually, I take that back. 1998 is when we were officially started. 1992 is when our founding board came in, and then that's when we also started the political courage test of candidates. The goal of the organization is to get unbiased information out to the public so that citizens can choose for themselves which, like, who they want to vote for in an election. Exactly. What is the process that you go through to get that information onto your website? Um, we have um, a huge research department. Uh, it's broken up into either our political courage test department and then our research department. And um, our research department combs through it. And actually, um, our organization is, is basically operating like a Peace Corps. Um, we have uh, a very small uh, uh, full-time staff that is um, paid minimum salaries, and most of our um, work is done by volunteers and interns. And a lot of these Almost all of these interns are college interns, and our volunteers um, range in age from college age to, you know, elderly people, um, depending on uh, whether they're a member or whether they're just coming to visit. Um, they are trained thoroughly on research um, activities that we do. We have um, check, double check, and third checks on all the information that we put up and um, on our website. And um, if you were wanting to get into more detail about, you know, how the research is done or how our political courage test was done, I'd also be happy to answer any questions you have after I talk to them first, or I can actually refer to you to our research department or political courage test department. So how do you ensure that the information you're putting up isn't skewed towards any political party? I mean, it is, most people would be familiar with things like push polls, where someone will call and ask very leading questions, mm -hmm. such that the answers to the poll can only come out the way the organization sponsoring the poll wants them to come out. Mm -hmm. So how do you ensure that the questions that you ask and the information you provide aren't skewed in any way? Well, the information that we're basically providing is being provided to us from the candidate, um, it, with the exception of campaign financing, which we receive from other nonprofit organizations. Um, but uh, the information, we are basically providing information on the candidate. And um, this information that we receive is coming from the candidate, whether they're turning in our political courage test, whether they're turning in biographical information, or it's taken from their website. Um, and so that we're basically citing our sources where, where our information comes from. Um, but uh, as far as um, our political courage test, that's the only thing I can think of that you know people would be accusatory of saying that you know there's potential for these questions to be loaded. Um, we are doing research on each state and looking at news organizations, what they're covering. We're looking at poll data. We're looking at everything to make sure that we're covering the issues on our political courage test that um, are most relevant to that state's voters. 
and um, and so and then also our board members, which are you know going to be from all parties, are going to look over this information and they're going to have to sign off on it and say, you know, I believe that these questions are not loaded and that these questions are um, as impartial as possible. So especially around campaign time for an election, there's a lot of talk in the media on television news on commercial radio news in the newspapers everyone's talking about the candidates and about the elections so mm-hmm. why is that information that's out there not enough for people to make an informed decision we basically just stand by the fact um, and we have several points actually that we make that stand that that break us apart from other from other information sources and that is that we are nonpartisan we're a nonprofit organization we guarantee that we're completely independent. Um, we stay objective, and um, we are reputable. You know, we've been um, actually endorsed by several major news organizations, such as CNN, C-SPAN, Fox, MTV, National Journal, NBC, um, and also we are completely thorough in our research. Um, we try to stand by these actually, you know, you know, by these points and saying that, you know, our information is trustworthy and you're not going to have to worry about when you look at our website, when you call our hotline, when you look at the Vote Easy or when you look through our, you know, U.S. government owner's manual, that this information is completely coming to you um, as factual, relevant and unbiased information. And, you know, that was basically our stance from day one. So when you go out and collect information on candidates, in addition to doing your own research, you question the candidates themselves? Yes, using our political courage test. Um, we've been conducting this, I'm, I'm referring, this is actually what you're, ta- what you're referring to, correct? Yes. Okay, perfect. <laughs> we've been conducting this test since 1992. Um, we started off doing uh, presidential, congressional, and gubernatorial candidates, and then in 1996 we actually added state legislative candidates. And this test is mailed to them um, every election year um, to all state legislative, gubernatorial, congressional candidates, and presidential candidates when it's applicable. And we're basically asking one simple question. Are you willing to tell voters where you stand on the issues that you're most likely to face if you're elected? And if candidates answer yes to this question, we ask them to prove it. And then we have a few issue questions listed on that test. And um, they can either answer yes or no to these questions, and then after every question, there's also a place where they could fill in their own answer. So there's really no reason why um, they should not be able to answer this test. If they don't, if they don't want to answer our yes or no questions, after every question, there is a place for them to actually put in their own answer. Um, we know that uh, the, these questions are of concern of those voters in that state, and we also know that they are most likely to come, to, come up in that state's next legislative session. And... Um, the questions are obviously state-specific for those state-level candidates, and um, they're written with the help of political journalists, political journalists, and political scientists from that state. Um, candidates are given a six-week testing period, and uh, we repeatedly contact them throughout to make sure they receive the test and to remind them of their deadline. And um, basically, their political courage is measured by how many questions they were willing to answer on the test. This is Core of the Matter on 90.3 The Core. We're speaking with Carly Griffin. She's a media specialist at Project Vote Smart, an organization dedicated to bringing nonpartisan information about political candidates to the citizens of the United States. We'll hear more from Carly Griffin when Core of the Matter returns right after this. Vote. In case we're being too subtle, we vote. Have, at the core news, think you should vote. 
In case you missed it those first few times, be sure to... Vote. And if you'd like more information about how to... Vote. Well, you can go to areyouvoting.rutgers.edu. Vote. This has been a Core News public service announcement. Vote. And I'm Rebecca for the Core News. Every minute of every day, someone needs blood. Currently, only 3 out of 100 people in the U.S. give blood. People who need blood include those with aplastic anemia, sickle cell disease, leukemia, and accident victims. One pint of blood can save up to three lives. Healthy adults who are at least 17 years old and at least 110 pounds may donate about a pint of blood every 56 days or every two months. Females receive 53% of blood transfusions, while males receive 47%. You can help by donating blood at the Coors Blood Drive this Wednesday, October 27th from 9.30 a.m. until 3.30 p.m. in the College Ave Student Center Multipurpose Room. It will be a vampire-themed blood drive, so feel free to show up in your cape and fangs. Real vampires will be unable to attend this daytime blood drive once again this Wednesday, October 27th from 9.30 until 3.30 in the College Ave Student Center Multipurpose Room. This is Core of the Matter, the public affairs forum of 90.3 The Core, streaming and podcasting at thecore.fm. This week, we're talking to Carly Griffin. She's a media specialist at Project Vote Smart, an organization dedicated to bringing nonpartisan information about political candidates to America's voters. Of the tests that you send out, how many candidates typically respond? Our response rates um, have basically been going downhill since 1996. Um, we are seeing, you know, year after year, our lowest response rates are coming from party from major party candidates. They're coming from incumbents and state-level candidates. And our highest response rates coming usually come from third-party candidates, challengers, and congressional candidates. Um, so far this year, we've released, I think, between 10 and 12 political courage test results, and um, this year is no different than past years in continually seeing that decline. Uh, for New Jersey, actually, though, um, you guys had a 26 out of your 51 congressional candidates submitted the political courage test, which is actually good when we can say that more candidates did fill out the PCT than did not fill out the PCT, and this is not a um, norm by any means. Um, we are used to seeing very low percentage rates across the board. Um, we basically attribute our low response rates for the Book of Courage test, um, which, I, like I said before, has been in a pretty steady decline since 1996, um, to mainly one thing, and that's candidates are being told not to answer our test questions because putting their answers out there for the world to see makes them vulnerable to opposition research, and they are instead told to stick to their safe and tested message messages every election year. So given that it is kind of a... It, it is really a test of their courage, whether they're willing to stand by their positions. Mm -hmm. So what happens when candidates don't respond? When candidates don't respond this year, and this is just for congressional candidates, um, we've decided to play defense. Um, we have basically said to them that, congressional candidates specifically, that if you're not going to fill out the political courage test this year, we are going to research you to the best of our ability using your own voting records and your own public statements, and we're going to basically say, um, these are the issue positions that we've found for you, and we're going to release this information. Um, if you want to change these answers, you are more than welcome to. We would always rather have the candidate give us their answers, but in the event that they're not going to, they have basically left us no choice. And, you know, 
our mission as an organization is to provide this information to the public. And if candidates are not willing to provide this information to the public, then um, they've left us no choice. We're going to have to do this ourselves. I guess we, we consider ourselves journalists in that area because, you know, we are looking through their past voting records. We're figuring out who's, you know, interest group ratings and how, you know, interest groups are rating certain candidates. And we're also looking at their public statements and speeches and answering um, 12 major issue questions. And this has enabled us to um, launch the vote easy. We wouldn't be able to launch the vote easy um, considering the low response rates if we didn't already have this research program going on um, this year. So um, for state-level candidates, it is clearly marked, and for gubernatorial candidates, it's clearly marked on our website for each candidate. They each have their own page on our website. And it's clearly marked that you know this candidate was unwilling to show political courage for the 2010 election season. But you can still look up their voting records, their campaign financing information. You can look at their speeches. And so you're able to, you know, at least get a picture of what's going on with these candidates if they were not willing to submit the political courage test. But, um, but for congressional candidates, we have documented evidence on each issue position if we were able to find an answer. And we were able to um, make sure that this is, you know, we're able to back this up with documented evidence and it's available on our website. So what do you think this unwillingness to respond perhaps because of advice from campaign advisors. What mm-hmm. do you think that unwillingness says about the current state of our political system and citizen participation? Well, our highest response rates for the political courage test were in, you know, 1996. And since that decline, it's just been speaking to this idea that um, more and more candidates are getting by on the idea that the less information I put out there to the public, um, the more likely they are going to um, think that I'm just like them. Um, or, you know, they're going to, uh, because candidates sometimes can run on, you know, two or three issue positions. Um, and, you know, a lot of times uh, the public will vote on a couple of issue positions only because they don't have access to the other information about the candidate. The more information that a candidate is able to put out about themselves, the more likely a voter is to disagree with them and potentially lose their vote. And so, you know, from a campaign from a campaign's perspective, it, it makes sense for them to want to have a controlled message. But, you know, as a democracy and as a voter, um, you want to have um, the best amount of information that's possible. Uh, we look at the political courage test as a job application, and we look at candidates as if they are a actual um, prospective employee. And um, they take this job application or the political courage test, they fill it out, and um, we submit their answers just as they were submitted to us on our website. And voters can act as those managers and as those, um, you know, HR people, basically, and uh, uh, look at these answers and um, choose to hire or not hire these prospective employees or candidates, as we call them. You mentioned Project Vote Smarts, U.S. Government Owner's Manual. What kind mm-hmm. of stuff is in there? Basically, um, we are offering you, like, it's a pocket-sized book that has basically a snippet of all the information that's available on our website, um, but voters can use this, you know, just to carry around. It's available for each state, and you're basically going to see a key key votes bill list, or I guess you could look at it like a, it's looking like a map, and then it's a key at the top. And um, each candidate is listed, um, has their own, under each state, has their own on their page, and they have um, campaign contribution information, um, key votes information, their interest group ratings, 
and also contact information for them. Um, we encourage them, of course, to get to dive deeper into this information um, using our website. But you know, as a manual, I think it's a great tool if you are looking for just basic information um, on a candidate for U.S. House, U.S. Senate, that kind of thing. And it's free. It's, it's free for the public. They can actually call us. Um, and actually receive this book for free. We can also download it online off of our website. What kind of things are on the uh, in the New Jersey section? All right, let's see. For key votes bills, there um, there's a list of 17 bills, and it has a list of how they voted on each of those bills if they voted on e- any of these bills. Um, the bills are you know summarized basically only using their title, and then we encourage the voter to go to our website to figure out more about what was included in this bill. But bills including health issues, budget spending and taxes, um, business and consumers, transportation issues, uh, gun issues, uh, welfare and poverty, environmental issues, um, that kind of thing. And um, campaign contributions are listed, um, like the total campaign contributions they received, um, individual contributions um, from interest groups, that kind of thing, from labor unions, that kind of thing. And then also it includes their interest group ratings. And the interest groups that we actually have their ratings for are the Pro-Choice, Pro-Choice America, National Rights to Life Committee, um, NNA, NAACP, um, the Federation for American Immigration Reform, uh, Gun Owners for America, those type of things. And if people want a copy of that, how could they get one? They can um, visit our website at votesmart.org. They can also call us at one eight 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 vote smart. They can also um, they can find our content information on our website, but they can also download a copy of the, uh, the, of the uh, U.S. Government Owner's Manual on our website. Um, but like I said before, it's free. We'd be happy to mail it to them free of charge, and it's also available to be able to download off of our website, which is votesmart.org. Okay, so in addition to the Political Courage Test, uh, Project Vote Smart has a new initiative called Vote Easy. We um, have designed this brand new free online interactive tool called Vote Easy. Um, it's at voteeasy.org, and it's uh, now available for New Jersey voters. Um, New-, New Jersey voters that are looking to get an instant confirmation on which congressional candidates agree with them on 12 major issues are welcome to visit this site. Uh, they can type in their zip code um, and actually answer the same questions, same 12 key questions that were asked the congressional candidates on the 2010 political courage test. And then these candidates' yard signs will actually um, come forward if they are agreed with or um, recede if uh, the candidate, if the uh, voter and the congressional candidate do not agree on these major issues. Uh, these major issues include abortion, Afghanistan, crime, economy, education, immigration, uh, social issues, and taxes. And um, this is basically our way of, um, just another way of us providing um, our information free and easy to use. Um, And uh, it's only available for congressional candidates. We don't have any plans of moving this to state level as of now, but, um, you know, if if it gets off and people are actually using this tool as much as we'd like them to, then, you know, it has potential to grow. Okay, so let's try it out. I went to voteeasy.org, and when it opens up, there's a picture, a map of the United States, and some states look like they are covered in green grass. Those are the ones that you have information for currently. Yes. It says type in your zip code, so I'll put in the radio station zip code. And there's a little flag that appears. All right, so now we're in a field that's asking for a congressional district, so... And it pops up. There are tabs across the top. Abortion, Afghanistan, crime, economy, education, environment, guns, health care, immigration, social issues, social security, and taxes. And the two candidates that have come up are Ed Potosnak, 
mm-hmm. and Leonard Lance. That's what I'm looking at, too. I guess first off, what you could do is you could click on one of the issue positions that's above, and you could answer that question accordingly. And um, depending on your answer, the yard sign should recede or back up or right. move forward. Okay, so and then if you were able to click on the candidate, to click on Leonard Lance, sorry, he did not submit the political courage test. And so you'll see this because um, of the half circles and the full circles. Full circles are official answers from the candidate using our political courage test. Um, half circles are going to be our inferred answers. And these answers, once again, are documented and anchored in the candidate's own words or in their voting records. And um, we have documented evidence for these answers on our website. And there's actually a link. If you click on the candidate's positions page, there's a link um, hovering over the word inferred where the half circle is. Um, you can click on that and it says view the evidence used to determine the inferred answers for this candidate. And it will take you to our website and it will take you to their issue positions page and then it will show you the actual documented evidence that we have to support this inferred answer. Let's see if the other candidate answered. He did not answer as well. He did not answer and the reason why his circles are not, or he only has one question actually that we were able to infer. And this is usually because of two reasons. One reason, we were unable to find any information on the website, which should be, um, you know, a very, you know, red flag for voters, because if we can't find this information using our research tools, then how can a voter actually find this information? Um, another thing is, is that we may have found um, um, conflicting evidence saying that he may have, you know, in the, in the issue of abortion, he may have voted pro-choice in one point, but then he may have... Um, uh, made a public statement stating he was pro-life. And so, of course, we're not going to infer an answer because of conflicting evidence. And also, if a candidate is running for the first time, there wouldn't be a lot of information available? Right. Um, another thing, you may not have a website even available. So that's, that is definitely, a, a, you know, definitely a, a reason why his answers will not be filled in. And does anyone ever contact the candidates and ask them, just ask them personally why they don't want to answer? We've got, we have um, actually an entire list, that, an ongoing list that we have that we created, which basically have candidate excuses. Um, candidate excuses include, um, I will only fill out the political courage test if my opponents uh, fill it out. I will only fill out the political courage test if um, it comes with a campaign contribution. Hmm. Um, yeah, really. And, um, or I will only fill out the political courage test if it's from an organization that's in-state. And um, we, of course, or... Um, I will not fill out the political courage test because my answers will be used against me by uh, my my uh, opponent. And so, you know, we have documented as of these excuses, and um, we have basically an answer for every single one of them, you know, saying that, you know, we, we realize that this is, but, it, you know, our test, they're not going to receive a test that is this meticulously um, nonpartisan and nonprofit, in our belief. This is Core of the Matter on 90.3 The Core. We're speaking with Carly Griffin. She's a media specialist at Project Vote Smart, an organization dedicated to bringing nonpartisan information about political candidates to the citizens of the United States. We'll hear more from Carly Griffin when Core of the Matter returns right after this. This is Core of the Matter, the public affairs forum of 90.3 The Core, streaming and podcasting at thecore.fm. 
This week on Core of the Matter, we're talking to Carly Griffin. She's a media specialist at Project Vote Smart. That's an organization that aims to bring nonpartisan information on political candidates to America's citizens. Has anyone ever accused your organization of being biased or non or partisan? Candidates, um, yes. I mean that that comes with the territory when you when you actually you know state yourself to be you know voters campaigns. Everyone is is very suspect when you you know say that you're an. Un- you're an unbiased, you're an impartial organization, and we're used to it. But, you know, once again, we stand by our facts, and we have a political board that shows that, you know, we um, take from all all different political uh, opinions. And actually, you know, the fact that we're nonpartisan, nonprofit, you know, we guarantee our integri- integrity and accountability as our nonpartisan, and um, we are just here to serve the American people. Um, we do not accept, con- once again, we do not accept uh, campaign contributions from lobbyists, from governmental organizations, corporations, businesses, or special interests. Um, we basically have a stance on being unbiased and impartial, and we have evidence to prove this. So if a candidate doesn't answer your test, mm-hmm. and if your researchers ha- who are trained in research and some of them are doing it as their job, if they have trouble finding information about how candidates feel about these pretty common issues. What can citizens do when it comes time to make a decision? We basically, when we can't find this information, um, and this means the voters cannot find this information, and we want voters to take this as a message from major party candidates, from any candidate really, who is not willing to submit the political courage test, or, you know, even willing to put their issue positions on anything out there to the public, you know, even on the web, basically. Um, we, We basically take this as they should be insulted. They should be angry that they cannot find this information on their on their you know candidates they're trying to gain their vote. Basically, uh, we want them to uh, know that you know for congressional candidates we are going to be looking at these positions, and um, it's basically a slap in the face to voters saying that we're not uh, if you're not going to provide this information and we can't find this information off the web off of your you know website if you even have one at that point. Voters should demand this information, and we've done what we can. So, I'm a little curious as to what would happen if I uh, if I tried to interview some of the local candidates who haven't answered, and just asked your questions as to what they would say. I think that you know I would encourage you to do that. Honestly, I'm really um, a lot of times we find out candidate you know candidate excuses from actually you know from other news organizations. So I would definitely encourage you to do that. Um, if they want to submit their answers, however, they have to submit it to us. So if you if you do get a candidate on the phone or if you're interviewing them and they and they want to give you their answers and they want it to be provided on the vote easier on our website, they're going to have to submit it to us. But um, but yeah, if you if you get some new um, really awesome excuses from candidates, I'd, I'd love to hear them. In this election that's coming up in November, here in New Jersey, we're mostly going to be voting for congressional representatives. Mm-hmm. And in most states, that's going to be the case. Congressmen, mm-hmm. maybe some senators. Mm-hmm. Nothing big and exciting like a presidential election. So a lot of people will choose not to vote. Why is it that people don't think these elections are as important? And, I mean, should they be voting, or are they really just not that important? I mean, we believe every single election, from the smallest one to the presidential elections, are are equally important. And that's basically why we provide this information for as many candidates as we humanly possibly can, um, considering we're a nonprofit organization and we 
basically have a very small full-time staff, and we have volunteers and interns that are here for the majority of the time doing most of the work. Um, I would also basically say that um, coming from as a college student, and this is a program that I would actually like to dive deeper into, but um, one problem that I found when I was in college was that um, I was actually in my home state, but a lot of my friends were not in their home state when they were um, during voting time. And so they don't have access to media coverage of the candidates. They may not even know who's running. And so that may be a, a reason why they don't think it's important, because if the media is not covering it, um, not covering these races as much as they would, you know, cover a presidential race, then, you know, why should I vote? And that's when VoteSmart comes into play, because um, we offer this information on these candidates that college students cannot receive when they're at their university out of state, um, basically to, you know, and we also give information on the absentee ballot. You know, if they're, um, if they're looking for where they should vote, they can also call our hotline. If they're looking for how they can submit an absentee ballot, then they can call our hotline or visit our website. And so, you know, as a college student, I wish that I'd known about VoteSmart when I was in college because, you know, um, or rather, if I could give this information to my, you know, friends that were living out of state at that point. And people make a lot of how today's college students are very Internet savvy, that maybe they don't pay as much attention to the traditional media as they do to the Internet, so mm -hmm. they should just be able to get, they should be able to find out what's going on at home by looking on the Internet. But to actually get information that will be helpful to you, you have to know where to go, mm -hmm. and a lot of students don't necessarily have an idea of where they can go to get information they can trust. Mm -hmm. Being web savvy, they they're probably for you know news for news on the web. They're probably going to national news organizations, and these national news organizations are not going to be reporting on you know for the most unless something huge happens. They're not going to be reporting on you know New Jersey's specific congressional candidates or Tennessee's congressional candidates or state-level candidates or who's running for gubernatorial in the gubernatorial race. And so that's where I feel VoteSmart comes into play. You know, um, we are the, you know, relevant source of information for them to use, free to use, and we encourage them to use it, um, that they can come and figure out who's running in their state and who best represents their interests. So another reason that college students don't vote besides not really having any information on the candidates, is that they tend to think that who's in Congress, who's in the Senate, who's in their state assembly doesn't really have any effect on their lives. Is that true, or do the actions of these people still affect college students? I think that it's, it's easy to think that, of course, but, you know, um, I, I, I think that it would be a silly answer to, to say that no, they don't have any effect on my life. When they do, if if you are if you are affected in any way by in, you know by taxes, um, you know college students in general, you know if you go to a public state college, you know your congressional gubernatorial candidates are going to be affecting you know how much um, you know how much you pay. They're going to be affecting um, financial aid, that kind of thing. I mean, you you are affected day in and day out by the decisions of these congressional. Uh, state-level gubernatorial candidates are making um, in your state, and I think that if you if you have any problem, issue, anything, any any feel like you have the right to complain, then I feel like you should be voting in in your state. Um, I think that it's very important for young people to stay involved in the political process because you know we are basically um, going to be moving up, getting older, and actually taking over eventually. And so I think that if you get started now, 
um, you know, it's basically all about having a more informed um, electorate. And I think that that's, you know, imperative to our democracy. You mentioned that you're a recent college graduate. Have you always been politically involved? I voted in the presidential elections, um, and, you know, this actually speaks to the problem that you were just talking about. I voted in the um, presidential elections primarily because there was so much, um, there was so much uh, uh, media that went around those presidential campaigns. And actually, I uh, went to Belmont University in Nashville, Tennessee, and we had um, a 2008 presidential debate at our college, and that alone right there um, was a uh, was a really big wake-up call like wow you know they're here they're they're debating this is actually on my campus you know the political process is is right in front of me right right here down the street because i I lived off campus and uh um i think that my um i didn't know about vote smart going into college and um when i accepted this position i had i had no idea what vote smart was either and um now that i've been here and now that i've seen this organization at work um coming from someone who only voted in presidential elections i am my stance on on voting in general has become has taken a 180 basically and i i realize that now that i have this information available on votesmart.org or, or using any other tools that we have and and realizing you know where this information comes from and that it's trustworthy and it's relevant and then i can use it um i feel like um i can you know basically take my political process back and put it in my own hands and actually, you know, make a difference in how I'm voting. And how did you get involved with VoteSmart? I um, found out about them actually using a, um, a job search engine called idealist.org. I also wanted to talk to you knowing that your radio stations with um, uh, Rutgers University and also with Piscataway High School. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wanted to talk about our internship program, if that was possible. We have a, an ongoing internship program we um, take interns at any time, basically, and um, our national internship program basically gives students the opportunity to live and work on our ranch, which is located um, in the middle of the Montana Rockies. Um, we ask that they um, stay here for 10 weeks. Basically, we only have uh, three basic criteria for interns, and that is um, they're willing to set aside any and all political beliefs and remain nonpartisan while they're working for us. Um, they must be in good academic standing with their university, and once again, they have to commit 10 weeks. Um, in return for the research that they do, whether they're working in our political courage test department or they're working in our research department or they're even working in our media department, um, we basically allow them free room and board at our beautiful ranch, which is basically right outside of Phillipsburg, Montana. Um, we offer hiking, fishing, and horseback riding in the summer. And then in the winter, we have skiing, ice fishing, and snowmobiling in the winter. And if anyone is interested in um, applying for this internship program, once again, we, we take um, interns on an ongoing basis. And they can always um, call us um, at 188-VOTE-SMART, or they can also go to uh, votesmart.org and find more information about this. And what kind of colleges and universities do interns come from? They come from uh, colleges and universities all over the country. Um, we uh, had uh, actually an intern from Princeton this summer. I can't think of any other, where the other colleges were from off the top of my head from this year specifically. But um, we also have um, uh, lots of uh, students. We had a student from China who was actually studying in for an exchange program in Connecticut, and she came to our Montana ranch and worked for us for 10 weeks. And actually, we had two interns from China that were exchange students. One of them was um, at the, uh, I want to say the University of Ohio, but I'm not for certain. But he, um, both of them actually uh, were exchange students, and they uh, interned with us this uh, summer. One of them was an IT intern working in our, 
our, our tech department, and then she was actually a research intern. And someone might assume that you'd probably get a lot of, granted their most college students, you could say, are tend to be liberal-leaning, but one might assume that you would get a lot of liberal-leaning students who would want to intern for Project Vote Smart. Do you, is it mostly liberal students? Do you get a wide range of political beliefs in people well, coming in? Like I said before, um, once they come to this ranch and they come into our office, um, we check their political beliefs at the door. Um, political beliefs as far as where they stand on issues um, are not relevant because it's not a part of our research. And so we have a sign actually right in front of our um, our main door where we have this major control room. Um, you can actually see a picture of it um, where we have all of our interns work on a, in a computer and the sign is, um, you know, check your politics at the door. Um, none of the conversation regarding whether you're conservative or liberal is ever allowed um, here. And so, of course, it's not going to when actually, just to be honest with you, um, we don't find this out unless they, you know, are sitting around the dinner table and that kind of thing. And then, you know, but once we get into the office, it's, it's and it, of course, it's not a part of the uh, applying service either. One of our questions on our application is not, what's your political stance? And so, to be honest with you, it, it's, our, it's our policy, and, and because it's our policy, it just never really comes up. And so people are really able to set aside their beliefs? Yes, I mean, it, we wouldn't be able to function as an organization, a nonpartisan organization, if they weren't. And, um, you know, we make this our mission. And, uh, you know, none of this uh, political stances are, are not allowed in the office at all. And so that, you know, it's basically our mission, and we have to keep true to it, or else this organization would not work. So what do you think will happen to projects, Project Vote Smart going into the future if candidates continue to avoid answering the political courage test, how will that change what you do? I think that um, if they continue and our results still continue to go down, I think it's going to be a lot more of us doing a lot more research on them ourselves and basically act acting like journalists and what they already do and, you know, backtracking and going through their voting records and their public statements and basically trying to figure out where they stand. But like I said before, if candidates are unwilling to provide this information and our organization our organization's mission is to provide this information to the public, and candidates are unwilling to provide this information. They're leaving us no choice. And um, I think that if this continues to go down in a downward spiral, then I think that um, more and more um, our research department is just going to have to get bigger, and we're just going to have to compensate and um, start answering the test for them. I, but like I said before, um, in a perfect world, we would not have to do this. These candidates would be willing to give us their issue positions very easily. You know, we wouldn't even have to give them a six-week testing period. We wouldn't have to remind them nine times about our deadline. And um, they would be willing to um, provide us this information so we could provide this to the public. Well, in our, in our home district here in District 6, there looked to be four candidates, and only one has answered your questions. Mm -hmm. He is, the, he is our, our current representative. Mm -hmm. So I guess we'll have to find out what the others think on our own. Yeah, or, or using the vote easy. Um, and it's actually like a, um, it's it's actually unusual for um, incumbents to actually fill out the PCT. So um, we were very pleased to see that. Um, like I said, New Jersey actually had a higher congressional response rate than a lot of the other states that we've already released. Um, and we actually attribute that in part to um, um, some media partners that we had using the Asbury Park Press and the Aquaria Post and Cherry Hill 
um, they were they did editorial endorsements for us um, this year, encourage, encouraging New Jersey candidates to submit the test. And um, we attribute um, New Jersey's higher congressional response rate to those editorial endorsements. This is Core of the Matter on 90.3 The Core, streaming and podcasting at thecore.fm. We were just speaking with Carly Griffin. She's a media specialist at Project Vote Smart. You can find that at votesmart.com. Excuse me, votesmart.org. Because they are, in fact, a non-commercial entity. When we come back with Core of the Matter, we're going to continue with our voting theme. We're going to answer some of those tricky questions that you may have about where to vote, when to vote, and what happens if you get to your polling place and someone says you weren't registered there. We will make all those scary voting issues friendly for you when Core of the Matter returns right after this. You're listening to Core of the Matter on 90.3, The Core. This is Core of the Matter on 90.3, The Core. We're streaming and podcasting at thecore.fm. This week on Core of the Matter, we're talking about voting. So... Next Tuesday is Election Day. That's November 2nd. And there may be a reason why Election Day is always so close to Halloween. Because yes, it can be kind of scary. But there's no reason to be afraid of voting. The most important piece of information you have to know is that, of course, Election Day is Tuesday, November 2nd. That's a week from today. The polls will be open from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. all across New Jersey, so you've got plenty of time to vote. However, let's say... I don't know, you're working. You're going to be working from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. You won't have a chance to get out. How can you possibly vote? Well, there's still an option for you. Any registered New Jersey voter can vote by mail in any election for any reason. You have to send in a application. You can find that by going to njelections.org and look for Forms to Vote by Mail. Now, this application has to be completed and returned to the Middlesex County Clerk. If you're going to mail it, then you would have to do that by seven days prior to the election. That's when you would have to get your application in by. However, if you take it in person, you can take it to the county clerk's office until 3 p.m. the day before the election. So if you want to try voting by mail, you have until 3 p.m. on Monday to download your application from njelections.org and fill it out and take it over to the county clerk's office. They'll give you a ballot and you can probably just give it to them right there if you want. Now, the county clerk cannot accept faxed or emailed copies of an application for vote by mail unless you are a military or overseas voter because an original signature is required. And remember that vote by mail ballots must be received by the Board of Election by the close of the polls on Election Day, which, as you already know, is 8 p.m. Remember that you have to pay for postage on both the application and the ballot. And if you apply for vote by mail and then you change your mind and go to the polls, you will not be able to vote using a voting machine. You will still have to vote on paper. So if you decide to vote by mail, download your application, take it over to the county clerk's office, and remember not to go to the polls. If you have any questions, you can call the New Jersey Department of Elections at one eight seven seven nj voter which is in numbers 1-877-658-6837. Now, if you've never voted in an election before, you might wonder what happens when you actually go to vote. When you arrive at your polling location, you'll be asked by a friendly poll worker to state your name, and then they'll look you up in the registration book. You'll sign your name next to where it's printed in the book. 
Then you'll have to sign the voting authority book, which is a smaller stack of papers stapled together. You'll sign one part of that little slip, and then they will give you the other slip, and that allows you to vote on the voting machine. So you sign that, you take your little slip, you go over to the voting machine, and then the poll worker there takes your slip, and you get to vote. Now, if the poll worker cannot find your name in the registration book, and you're sure you're registered, call the Board of Elections. Put this number in your phone right now. It's 732-745-3471. That's the number for the Middlesex County Board of Elections. If you're voting in another county, you can find the number for the Board of Elections in your county at njelections.org. That's the State Board of Election website. So if you're at the poll, or if you're at your polling place, and the poll worker tells you that they can't find you in the registration book, you just call 732-745-3471, and they'll tell you which polling place you should be voting at. Also, you have the option to vote by provisional ballot, but it's a good idea to know before you go to the polls where you're supposed to vote. Now, here at Rutgers, that is very easy for us. We can just go to areyouvoting.rutgers.edu. That is a website run by the Eagleton Institute of Politics right here at Rutgers. If you go on there, you can click a handy little button and look up where you're supposed to vote. If you are voting on campus, that is if you're registered at your campus address, then there are a number of places that you might go to vote. If you're, if you're living anywhere on Bush campus and you're registered to vote at that Bush campus address, then you'll just go to the Bush campus center. That's nice and easy. Now, if you're living in a dorm on College Avenue, not a dorm, just a, excuse me, not an apartment, just a regular dorm, not a suite, Brett Hall, Campbell, Clothier, Demarest, Ford, Freeling, Heisen, Hardenberg, Hegeman, Loop, Mettler, Murray, Pell, Stonier, Tinsley, or Wessels, if you live in any of those, then you're going to vote at Lincoln School, which is on 66 Bartlett Street. And Bartlett Street is right next to the Student Center. You just walk down about two blocks and you can find Lincoln School. Other people living in New Brunswick will have to vote at Lord Sterling School, which is at 101 Redmond Street in New Brunswick. You're going to vote there if you're registered. At Rockoff Hall, Hellier House over on Cook, Nicholas, Bunting Cobb, Jameson, Katzenbach, Lippincott, or Woodbury. Now, if you live in the Newell Apartments, some of you will vote in one place, some of you will vote in another, which is kind of weird and sort of tricky. If you live in Newell 1 through 24, you're going to vote at Lord Sterling. You will also vote, vote at Lord Sterling if you're in Newell 65 to 128, 205 to 228. Now, if you live in other apartments in Newell, you're going to be voting at Parsons School, which is at 899 Hollywood Street in North Brunswick. So if you're living in Newell 25 through 64, 129 through 204, 229 to 252, then you're going to vote at the Parsons School, not at Lord Sterling. It's a completely different location. Also voting at Parsons School, that's Perry Hall, Starkey Apartments, and Voorhees. If you're living in the University Center at Easton Avenue, you're going to vote at the First Reformed Church, 9 Bayard Street. That's almost right across the street from you. If you're living in Henderson, New Gibbons, or Old Gibbons, so basically Gibbons of any kind, then you'll vote at the Labor Education Center. Also, pretty much right across the street from you, that's 50 Labor Center Way in New Brunswick. It's also on Riders Lane. And of course, if you're living anywhere on Livingston Campus and you've registered to vote, with your campus address, you'll vote right here in our very own Livingston Student Center. Now, if you uh, if you would have forgotten any of that information, if you, say, live in one of the Newells and you can't remember where you're supposed to vote, you can just go to areyouvoting.rutgers.edu and look it up yourself. This is, after all, the Internet age. Other things you might need to know, 
when you're going to vote, bring some ID. Now, you don't have to provide ID to vote in New Jersey unless you didn't provide identification information when you registered or if you registered by mail and this is the first time you're voting. So, it's a good idea to bring ID just in case. But if you've already voted, then you shouldn't need to present ID. But you should probably have it on you, you know, just for the sake of having ID. ID that will let you vote. You've got your New Jersey driver's license, any valid current photo ID. So that includes military ID, government ID. You can also use your student ID or an ID card from your job or a store membership card. You can also use a current document that has your name and address on it. That can include a bank statement, paycheck, car registration, rent receipt, government check, or other documents. Utility bill, your non-photo New Jersey driver's license, or that handy little sample ballot you got in the mail. If you have the proper ID, then you can vote in the voting machine. If you don't have ID but you need it, you need to show it to vote, then you'll have to vote by provisional ballot. Now, voting by a provisional ballot, that's kind of a tricky thing. What is a provisional ballot? It's just a paper ballot that's used at the polling place on election day under a number of circumstances. If your registration information is missing or it's incomplete, if you moved from your registered address to another in the same county and you didn't notify your local officials, um, if you didn't provide the required information on your registration form when you registered by mail, and also if there's a marking in the poll book that you applied for a vote by mail ballot, but you didn't apply for one, then, then you would have to fill out a provisional ballot. Now, the tricky thing with provisional ballots, once you fill that out and handed it in, you're not done. You still have to go to, you have until the close of business on the second day after the election, that is November 4th, to provide ID at the county election office. That's located at 777 Jersey Avenue in New Brunswick. Also, after you vote by provisional ballot, you have to complete the affirmation statement attached to the provisional ballot envelope. Also, another wacky thing you might have to use is an emergency ballot. That's a paper ballot that's used at the polling place if the voting machine isn't working or if there's only one in the district and it's, it's being used for an extended amount of time. Then you would use an emergency ballot. Also, when you go to the polls, remember you can't display campaign buttons or campaign clothing like hats or T-shirts. Polling places are considered protected zones beginning from 100 feet outside the entrance of any polling place and extending into the polling room where the voting machine is located. Any person who enters a polling place wearing a campaign button or campaign clothing will be asked to remove, cover up, or turn the clothing inside out. So, you know, don't wear your Republicans rule or Democrats are awesome or... Independence or cool t-shirts to your polling place when you go to vote next Tuesday on November 2nd. Again, if you're looking for any information about how to vote, where to vote, or information on candidates, you can go to areyouvoting.rutgers.edu or njvoterinfo.org. You can find out about one of the candidates in District 6 by checking out the Core of the Matter podcast. We only got to speak to one candidate. Representative Pallone declined our request and we couldn't even find contact information for the other two. Today you heard from Carly Griffin at Project Vote Smart. And later in the week, you'll be able to hear from all three District 12 candidates for Congress. And you'll be able to hear from John Weingart of the Eagleton Institute of Politics and also with Elizabeth Maddow of the Youth Participation in Politics Project. And they will tell you whether it actually is important to vote in these midterm elections and what the stakes are for students and for the citizens of central New Jersey. You can check the CORE website to find out when those things are going to be aired. You can also download the podcast. You've been listening to CORE of the Matter on 90.3 The CORE. 
Opinions expressed on Core of the Matter are those of the participants only and not necessarily those of WVPHFM or Rutgers University. You can check out the Core of the Matter podcast online at www.thecore.fm. Tune in next Tuesday and stay tuned for Sense and Subtle Sounds with DJ Carney. That's coming up next right here on 90.3 The Core.